This is Pastor Jim from Porter Mountain Fellowship. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. These are sermons from our 10.30 a.m. service on Sundays. If you're in the neighborhood, stop by. We're on the corner of Porter Mountain Road and Commerce Drive in beautiful Lakeside, Arizona. This morning we're going to talk about prophecy. And we're going to be in Isaiah again. We were last week, and, and uh, you, you saw it uh, or heard it read again this morning. We're going to be in Isaiah again. Isaiah has a, a, a tremendous amount of prophecy about the Messiah. And I think there's a reason for that. I think if you look at the time frame in which Isaiah spoke, you'll see that, that it was desperately needed at that time. Isaiah speaks... Now, Isaiah is written somewhere around 700 B.C., 700 years before the birth of Christ. And, and he, he writes at a time when Israel is being, they've been wiped out by the Assyrians, they, they're wiped out again by the Babylonians. Uh, it, it is a time of great war and turmoil and political upheaval, and, and it's a time when, when a nation turned, its, turned away from God. A time like our time today, quite frankly, in our country. A time when, the country, when an entire country turned away from God. And so Isaiah has a lot of prophecy about the Messiah. Uh, you find it in, in chapter 7, chapter 9, uh, chapter 11, uh, 53, 61, 40. Uh, that all the way through Isaiah, you have these, these prophecies of the coming Messiah, and, and again, in the, in the cultural context, in the context in which Isaiah is speaking, he is speaking about a Savior that's to come. He's giving hope to a, to a nation that has turned its back on God. He's giving them hope. And so I, I love to, to study Isaiah at this time of year because what do we need? We need hope. We need hope. We need our nation to turn back to God. And that's what Isaiah really is all about the entire book of uh, Isaiah is about. Turn back to God so this doesn't happen. And of course, it, they never turn back to God. It always happens. <laughs> and so he, he always promises a Messiah. There will be one that's coming that will make everything right again. We saw that last week. We're going to see it again today from Isaiah chapter 40. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40, that's, uh, it will be up here behind me. I do want to say, though, before I begin, when we talk about prophecy, we talk about, about what is to come. And you know, the first prophecy about Christmas is in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is actually the first prophecy about Christmas. God tells the people, he tells Adam and Eve, and he tells the serpent that 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 there will be one coming from the seed of the woman, and he will crush the head of the serpent. The first promise God makes is about Christmas. So is Christmas important to God? I think it is, because it's the first promise he makes in Scripture. So we see these promises continuing from Genesis through all of the prophets, in particular, as I said, Isaiah, and then we see Jesus come. We see that first Christmas. We see the birth of hope. And we see how everything that, that happens with Jesus 
happens because it was prophesied to happen. And we're going to see that today as we study uh, Isaiah. So Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 3. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become a smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear for all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So let's first talk about context. This is, the, the context of this is uh, the, the, the second exodus. <laughs> it's the exodus from Babylon. The people are coming back, the Israelites are coming back from Babylon. They've been, uh, they've been wiped out by the Assyrians, then they've wiped out by the Babylonians, and they've been, and, and in those days, if, uh, if you were wiped out by a country, what they did was gather you up and took you back to their country, and they put their people in your country. Because that way you don't fight for your country as a slave. You're not fighting for your country because you're in a different country entirely. So these people have been released from Babylon and they're coming back. And so that's the, the, uh, the context in which Isaiah says this. Now, verse 1 and, and 2 are interesting because it, verse 1 starts out with comfort, comfort my people. And then verse 2 says that they have paid double for their sins. The wrath of God has fallen on them double for their sins. So verse 1 promises twice the comfort because of twice the wrath. So we, we have, the, again, the promise that's always accompanying the wrath of God, the mercy that will accompany it. And, and so we have that in verse 1 and verse 2. Now I have to tell you that this is, this is the second exodus, but it is leaning us back to the first exodus. It's leaning us back to the people coming out of Egypt and into Israel. Why? Because it says that the Lord is going to come from the wilderness. Now, that's not the way home from Babylon. Babylon is northeast of Israel. Uh, Egypt is south of Israel. This is the east, the wilderness. This is the, the, the due east or, or east and a little bit south is where the wilderness is. So where did the original people of God come from? They went from Egypt to the wilderness, remember, because they wouldn't listen to God. They wouldn't follow God's command. They went to the, to the wilderness and then from the wilderness into Israel. That's what he's telling these people that are coming back from Babylon. God is going to come from the wilderness. So he's comparing these that are coming back from Babylon to the first exodus, and he is using the, the picture of God coming from the wilderness into Israel, which, which was part of the first exodus, and part of the temple tradition about how God entered Jerusalem. Now, Ezekiel gave us a picture of the presence of God leaving Israel. Isaiah tells us the presence of God is coming back, and it's coming back from the wilderness. It's coming back the way the temple tradition said it would. It's coming back the way the original people of God came. It's coming back from the wilderness. So we have a, 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 a reference to the first exodus we, in the second exodus, and, and we have this picture of the presence of God coming from the wilderness so this is, again, this isn't the way home 
from Babylon. They're going to be coming from the northeast. They're not going to go through the wilderness at all to get home. But God is going to meet them there coming from the wilderness. So why is it important that, that Isaiah says that, that God is going to come from the wilderness and meet the people here? Why is that important? Because that's exactly what Jesus does also. You remember the story of Jesus. He is baptized. And then he is immediately led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he is uh, tempted for 40 days. And then he comes from the wilderness and comes into the synagogue. And he speaks. And what does he speak? Isaiah. Let me read it to you. It's, it, it is up here, but uh, Luke 4, 16 to 21 says, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood to read. You ever, you ever want a, a reason to go to church? Jesus went. It was his custom. As usual, Jesus went to church. So the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll. He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he, told, and he said to them, Today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. So Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. But the way he quotes it from the wilderness to the synagogue, he, he not only fulfills Isaiah 61, he fulfills Isaiah 40. He is coming from the wilderness and the presence of God is now in the synagogue because Jesus is there. So you can see the connection and you can see why it's important that God comes from the wilderness. It connects from the original Exodus to the second Exodus to Jesus coming. All connected by how it happens. Jesus fulfills the prophecy by coming from the wilderness. Then we have John the Baptist. Now, you, you know the stories of John the Baptist. He was the, uh, he was the guy that lived in the wilderness and ate honey and locusts and, and dressed with, with, a, with a wide belt and he was kind of a wild man. Well, John the Baptist says this in John chapter 1, verse 23. He compares himself so the, he calls himself the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight a way for the Lord. So we have the fulfillment of Isaiah 40 in Jesus and in John the Baptist. Crying out, proclaiming Jesus coming. That, that was what John the Baptist did. He proclaimed Jesus coming. And so we have, we have all of this this. Uh, prophecy fulfilled in the life of Jesus. The people made it back from Babylon. That prophecy is fulfilled. John the Baptist cries out from the wilderness, makes straight away for the Lord, proclaiming Jesus, prophecy fulfilled. Jesus comes from the wilderness and proclaims the salvation of the Lord, brings the presence of God, prophecy fulfilled. Now, there is one part of this prophecy that is yet to come. Because it says that, that when, he, when he comes, 
All of humanity will see him. That hasn't happened yet. The first time he came, not all of humanity saw him. In fact, many of humanity that saw him sent him away. You remember the, the story of Bethlehem, right? There was no room for him. There is quite often no room for him in our lives. There's quite often no room for, for him in our crowded, twisted life. Our crowded heart. Our busy life. We just have too much going on for Jesus. And so he comes from the east. He comes through the wilderness. He comes to you. And you send him away just as they did in Bethlehem. So what does this say about God? It says that God keeps his promises. He, he told the people before they went to Babylon that he would bring them back. And he did. They made it back to, to, to Israel. He, he met them there, coming from, the, uh, coming from the wilderness. So it says God keeps his promises. It also says that God is king. This, uh, this is kind of a cultural thing. All of this making straight the way and, and leveling everything, that, that was the cultural thing to do when a king was coming to your city. The road that the king was going to br bring, come in to your city on was level and straight. You took all of the twists out of it. You filled in the low spots and cut down the high spots so that the, the king came into your city on a straight, level road. So they're preparing the way for God by making everything straight, by taking out all the twists and turns. They're, so God is king. It says that Jesus is the glory of God. He is the, he is the very glory of God. It says that all of mankind will see Jesus as the glory of God. Now, again, this part hasn't happened yet. This part is yet to come. And I, and I want you to, to put yourself in this position of the, the original writer. Isaiah writes in about 700 B.C. And he writes this sentence that says, all of humanity will see him when he comes. Impossible in 700 B.C., right? But what about today? Today, we have a 24-hour news cycle. We have, we have a cable news on all the time. We get alerts on our phones for breaking news. When he comes back as conquering king, everyone will know. Everyone will know when he comes again. All of humanity will see him. Because it says here, we just talked about all of the prophecy that was fulfilled in Christ of, uh, from this Isaiah 40, 3 through 5. The one part that hasn't been yet is the part where every, all of humanity will recognize the, him as the glory of God. That day is to come. And we can see in our current time, we can see how that can even happen. We can see how it's been built for this to happen. Jesus is coming as king. He is coming as conquering king. He came the first time as the suffering servant, and he's coming the next time as the conquering king. So what we must do, we must prepare the way of the Lord.
We have, as I said earlier, we have twisted lives and, and crowded hearts. We have, we're so busy that, and, and, and it seems to really compress at Christmas time, doesn't it? It starts uh, around Thanksgiving. It just seems like we're on a, uh, doing wind sprints from Thanksgiving to Christmas. It's just constant. And there's so much to do and so many parties to go to and so many gifts to buy and so much. We've got to do the decorations. We've got to do, do all of this stuff. And pretty soon, we're Bethlehem. There's no room for Jesus in us because we've got crowded hearts. We've got busy lives. We're, we're so tied up and so busy doing everything for Christmas that we miss the point entirely. When Jesus came the first time, all of those, from, from Bethlehem all the way through his life and ministry, he was rejected by those that we expect would expect would welcome him in. He was rejected by his own people. He was, from birth, rejected. And then when he started his ministry, he was rejected. When everywhere that he went that we would expect him to be welcomed, he was rejected. He was, we don't have room for you. You're not who we want. Is that you today? Is that where you're still at? I don't have room for the Jesus stuff. I don't have room for the religious stuff. I, I, I have a busy life, and I can add church in on Sundays occasionally, but that's about what I can stand because I, there's just no room in the end. That's what happened to Jesus when he was here. And that cannot be us. We must prepare the way for the Lord. We must repent of our twisted lives and crowded hearts and accept him in. Those that did accept him in when he came the first time, they welcomed him in and changed the world forever. We are here today because of those who welcomed him in the first time. We have been affected by that. Consider how many you could affect by just welcome, welcoming him in at this time of year. Will you prepare yourself for his coming? Or is there no room in you for him? So the comfort of this verse is the prophecy is fulfilled again and again and again. It's fulfilled in Christmas. It's fulfilled in, in Jesus' life and ministry. And it will be again fulfilled when he comes back as conquering king. The challenge here, though, is we must be prepared for the Lord. We must prepare a way in our hearts, prepare a way in our lives for the Lord to come because he is coming either way, whether you are prepared or not. And so, prepare the way for the Lord. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. Do you need to prepare your life for the coming of the Lord? You can. It's, it's, it, it's a simple prayer. And it goes, in your own words, just follow along and say, God, I have sin in my life. I, I've done things wrong. I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. 
And I know the Bible calls that sin. I have a crowded heart and a busy life. And I have, and I have had no room for you. Forgive me and prepare the way in my heart for you. Make my life straight and level again. Make my heart clean. Forgive me of my sin and enter in. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, you need to let somebody know. Come and let me know. One of our deacons know. Elbow your neighbor and let them know that you were prepared for the Lord today. Maybe you know Christ, but as you look at the Christmas season, as you look at what's already happened this, so far and what you, what's on your calendar for the rest of the month, you realize there's no room for him. Will you repent? And will you accept him in and, and focus in on the hope that is born at this time of year. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you, Father, that, uh, that you have showed us the way, that you have told us you were coming, that you, you know what we need and you gave us exactly what we need, a Savior. Help us to prepare the way Help us to be prepared for his coming. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.